Hey, what's up, everyone? This is uh, Steve from TorontoGameNotes.com, back again with a, another podcast interview uh, thing. This is the show where we kind of pluck someone from the industry here in Toronto and just kind of talk to them uh, about their work. So my guest this week is a Toronto-based game developer uh, who's released titles on PlayStation 4, Vita, Steam, and iOS. Uh, he's also a writer and graphic novel illustrator and a teacher. Uh, Benjamin Rivers, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Um, so there, there's a lot there to unpack. Um, usually how I've been starting all of these interviews is just kind of asking you to kind of introduce yourself how you normally would. Uh, and then maybe let's kind of start with like, what kind of gamer you are and, and how did, uh, how did you first become a gamer? Sure. Well, my earliest memories of playing video games are in the early to mid eighties playing a hand-me-down in television with my brother and my mom would also play as well. My dad didn't play video games, but my mom uh, would sneak away every now and then and do it. And one of those weird memories I have is of her beating uh, Astro Smash on the Intellivision six times in a row, just rolling that score over. And that's kind of when I realized, you know, she was she was pretty into it. And she always encouraged me to 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 do that kind of stuff. So I was uh, I was originally uh, an Intellivision player and what happened was after the crash you know being like the early uh, mid 80s it was so easy to find cartridges and stuff for cheap so just before the nes launched you know i remember my mom taking me to like a woolworths in northern manitoba and finding like just a bin of cheap games like two dollar games or something like that and just walking home i think with like a dozen of them or something and kind of just picking through them all and and figuring out what was what and it really made me uh aware of how many different kinds of games there were because I almost didn't even know what I was picking up. Like you just looked at the art that was on the little cartridge and kind of, or it, a box if you were lucky. And, uh, and that was kind of all you had to go on. And it was great. A bunch of stuff that came out of that pile is still some of the games that, uh, inform what I do today. Yeah. The, the art on those like old, uh, like Atari games or whatnot are always kind of funny because you look, you look at them and it's like, you know, legit art. And then you look at the games back then and, and uh, they don't look, you kind of have to use a lot of your imagination. As, as the generations have kind of progressed, you have to use less and less of your imagination to kind of bring together the world that like the developers have like created. Uh, and I'm, you know, any of the games back then, you kind of had to use quite a bit of your imagination, I think, to piece together like what this Atari looking thing was supposed to be. Yeah, and I think one thing about being an uh, independent developer is there's a lot of that you want to bring back. There's a lot of that is actually very useful to you because you don't have to spend a billion dollars on art assets um, if you sort of do it the right way. And I think a lot of us are also inspired by that, uh, by those tricks that we saw when we were younger. Yeah. And I, I think that's like, that's one of the reasons why indie games kind of blew up so much is just, it opened up this world that you don't need a publisher to release these games. And then all these people who grew up playing like, I'm sure they're out there, but a lot of the indie developers that I've met and talked to and, and can remember in interviews, they've all been gamers for as long as, like, you kind of just mentioned, like, since you were a kid playing with their brothers or with their parents or what have you. Um, they kind of just got into the industry because they were always kind of a gamer uh, and not because they saw, like, a way to make money or, or what have you. Yeah, and I think, I mean, the one thing about independent developers especially is that there's a lot of, there's a lot of benefit to being well-rounded and sort of to exist outside of the games industry quite a bit. Um, a lot of experience that is very helpful with that, but it's true. Like you, no one, no one makes games knowing how hard it is who has zero interest in making games. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's like, it's like a novelist hating to read 
and then spending five years sort of like um you know plucking away at a giant book or something it's it just doesn't happen that's the thing like a lot of people like games take a really long time so you got to be you got to have that passion and that history um to kind of want to keep going with that so you uh you're playing so the market crashed and you got all these like awesome cheap games and then i'm i'm guessing it kind of still progressed into like the nes and super nes and nintendo 64 or did you did you kind of jump teams to sega genesis maybe uh or or pc gaming proper um primarily or what what was the kind of like evolution of uh your console like the as you grew up i guess so I got an NES for Christmas. My brother and I did rather. Uh, I actually don't remember if that was like 1987 or something. I think we might have been a year late because I remember friends who had NES for what seemed like forever before uh, I got my hands on one. Uh, and that was sort of a revelation. A lot of our fondest memories, as especially as brothers, he was much older than me and we were very different people, but we could always find time to like sneak away and play Super Mario Brothers 2 and whatnot. Uh, so that was huge. I My Super NES was actually the first thing I ever bought with my first summer job, because at that point I was a teenager, a very young teenager, and I had to had to make money. Uh, and I remember skipping my my shift that day, like 10 minutes early, and the girl I work with, um, like we were friends enough, and I she just said, like, I can, I can see you're going to lose your mind if you don't get out of here to go buy that stupid thing. <laughs> They're like, I'll cover for you. Uh, and so I did. I ran over to the... This is when I was living in a very small town in uh, rural Ontario. Went to the one place that sold electronics from the lady that I knew and uh, and got my Super NES. Uh, and from there, I actually I was not much I was not really an N sixty four gamer. Uh, I got my first PC in nineteen ninety four, which is very late for a lot of people. And again, being a small town, we didn't get our internet until later than some people. And it also came out of a paint store. It's my internet connection. My ISP was a paint store. Um, so I did do some PC gaming. And, you know, the first thing I did on the PC that I got was play Wolfenstein. And then the thing that I wanted to do, because I had heard these rumors about this game from friends and their older brothers and whatnot, was to play Doom, which, of course, I eventually did. But uh, I got a PlayStation sort of as I was moving. Um, I graduated uh, high school and then was... Uh, leaving to the city to go to college and my ps1 was kind of like all i had uh, so i had a P- like a pc that kind of ran like crap and then uh the ps1 and eventually i sort of maybe used some government money to sneak an n64 and at some point but i was ne- i like i actually really like the n64 now but i didn't like it then i was all in on playstation stuff and that games like silent hill metal gear and all that stuff really helped define kind of the next generation of what i wanted to uh wanted to play and then i also sort of ended up bonding with my uh, now wife over like weird PS1 import games that I didn't know existed until I'd sort of met her and a bunch of other friends in school. Yeah, you've been uh, you've been streaming Silent Hill recently, have you? Or Silent Hill Two, maybe? I was uh, streaming uh, Fatal Frame. Oh, okay, yeah, I, yeah. So I knew it was like a. I remember it was like a survival horror game. Um, so, so that's obviously and like survival, like horror genre is obviously something that um, I guess kind of continued into your work as a game dev. But before that, you you are and, and we're a, a writer and a graphic novel like illustrator. Um, and I'm blanking on the, the name of it, but it was snow. You, you basically created a, like a graphic novel and it turned into like a movie, right? That's right. Yeah. My bike, my background is actually in like graphic design primarily. That was what I went to school for. And then I ended up 
because I'm just the kind of person who likes to do a lot of things, I end up sort of turning that into a love of comics and, and illustration and trying to make a go at that. And with Snow, it was the second graphic novel I'd done. Uh, the first one was called Empty Words, which didn't see a wide release. It was just sort of something I did as a webcomic back when those were a thing. Uh, and then eventually turned into single issues and then published as a graphic novel myself. But Snow was the one that ended up being a lot bigger because we had, I got a grant for it uh, the Z- from the Zarek Foundation, which was actually founded partially by uh, Peter Laird, who's one of the creators of the Ninja Turtles. It's like a private grant out of the States. And so that allowed us to actually finish the book as an actual book, print real copies. And then that turned into meeting um, Ryan Coldry, who uh, I, well, I'd known about him for, for years because of the game industry. And then him just saying like, hey, do you mind if I just like try to make a movie out of this? And I think my response was go large. And then six months later, he's like, yeah, so I have a cast and a bunch of crew and we've already got scripts written and blah, blah, blah. And, and I kind of just said, holy crap. Okay, I guess we're really doing this. Uh, and then he and his team just made made the movie. And I got to sit by and watch it happen. That's pretty sweet. Um, is there any, uh, and, and I apologize because I haven't seen or, or read Snow, but is there any plans to kind of continue that uh, that series in the future or, or like go back to that? To like, Have you done many graphic novels and stuff since then? Or have has your focus been mainly on like kind of the game developing side? So when Snow, uh, the the book version of it came out and then the movie came out, that was just around the time when my game dev career kind of was cemented and I decided to switch all my focus into that. So I, I actually haven't done a graphic novel for a couple of years. Uh, I am actually working on one right now. Um, and Snow is like jokingly what I call like the second chapter in my Queen Street trilogy because the first graphic novels also also took place in downtown Toronto. Uh, and the third one I'm working on right now is also about uh, some people who happen to coexist within downtown Toronto. Um, <laughs> so that is, I am desperately trying to get that done after hours while I'm not working on this, uh, com- or the new game rather. Right. And well, and we'll certainly, uh, well, we'll tease about the game or, or at least briefly mentioned, but, uh, getting into the first game, uh, home, a unique horror adventure, something that, uh, I remember when, uh, so in the early days of the site, uh, I would always just kind of browse Twitter, just trying to find, um, developers or people in the city, uh, just through like hashtags and, and through like hand eye society and, and other people tweeting out and stuff like that. And I remember finding home, uh, and I didn't really like look much into it because it's priced pretty, like it's, it was only like, it's only like five bucks, I think, right? Five, six dollars on yeah, PS4. That's right. And, uh, and, and I can't remember if I saw it like in the tweet or if it's on the description in the, uh, the store, but somewhere it says like, you know, play this game in kind of one sitting, just like sit down, throw on the headphones, just play it and don't like, don't, you know, get up and do anything like finish it off. It's like a, it's hour and a half or so. Uh, and I did that and I was kind of just like, I was, you know, a little bit blown away just cause I remember just going into this thing, not knowing anything about it and then coming out and just really like I had created the story in my head. Um, so for those who are listening who haven't played home, you should go do that. But you the story isn't like very uh um what i'm trying to say here it's not like a very obvious like what has happened you kind of like start this game and then you kind of have to piece the the all the little clues and stuff together at what happened to this person and what's happened in the world uh and then there's the website um what's the what's the website where everyone can kind of go and post their thoughts you can go to homehorror.com slash what happened. So then, uh, yeah, so then you can post your what you think uh, has happened in the story. And right. I remember having like a pretty definite, like, this is what happened. And then I started reading 
through all those things and I was just I was just like blown away and and uh I've been meaning to kind of I played I think I played it one more time I've been meaning to kind of replay it uh again um but what was the so that's me gushing a little bit about home but what was the uh so you kind of had a you played a lot of horror games in the past what was your was that just an easy fit for you to kind of go into something that's uh a horror game but kind of a little bit different than the you know typical like stuff just jumping at you um, or what was what was the kind of the thought process behind home being the first game? It was it was a, a couple things. It was basically a design challenge. Uh, uh, once I sort of realized I wanted to do something that was horror, I'd actually written this uh, like draft of a story. Oh, oh god, probably that's like twenty five years ago now uh, that I found at the time, uh, and it was just like the first chapter in a book about about a man waking up in a room. Um, with like a locked door and then trying to figure out what was going on from there. And I think I was trying to write a zombie story, something like that. And I only got so far. And then I picked it up and said, oh, I really like the start. It's like, it sounds interesting. Uh, and I said, okay, I'm going to do this. Like it's a jam or something. That's my idea. I have to do something with this story. Um, and then go from there. And then a lot of it was, as I say, a design challenge because my resources were limited. I only knew how to do so much in terms of coding and, I wanted to prove a point that you could make a horror game that was just as scary or thought-provoking as a lot of other stuff that I played that was much more high-spec and see, you know, I bet you you can do this with an extremely low-res game that relies mostly on text and sound and, you know, uh, very simple graphics. And as I said before, I'm a graphic designer by trade, so I'm used to getting projects where you are given... Uh, specific do's and don'ts and limitations and budgets and all that kind of stuff. And I just am more comfortable working within them. So by making these artificial constraints, I got to sort of look uh, at this as a challenge and say, okay, now what can I do? And it really helped focus things. So once I had, you know, a couple days worth of work into it, it started to look like something. And I thought, okay, I think, I think I know what's going on here. And then, and then we sort of went from there. Nice. And, uh, and so that came out in 2015. Am I uh, 12. It has, been al- it has been almost six years since that game came out. Oh, really? On PS4? Or- uh, it originally came out on for, it originally came out on my website, uh, and that's where we had got a lot of the press from because we had done a um, pre-order campaign for physical editions that we like made ourselves and packaged in my living room. Yeah. Uh, and that got so much press traction that we were able to just really grab a hold of everyone with that, and then. We were able to talk to Valve, get on Steam a few months later. That ended up being like a huge success, which was a big shock to me. Uh, and then from there, realized like, okay, we're going to make some contacts. We're going to try to get this on other things. And then we were uh, 2013 was when PS4 and all that came out. So yeah. we were able to get to PS4 and Vita eventually and then iOS. Um, and then just kind of kept trucking from there. Oh, man. So I, even I learned something during this uh, interview because I, I had totally thought like when I first saw it on um, cause I, I, I definitely saw it after that cause I started when the, when I started the site, which was 2015, I believe. Um, so maybe it was on sale or something and that's why I saw it again or it just came across, but I didn't know it was like from 2012. So, uh, so one, one question that someone kind of asked me was, uh, you know, you've released on steam on mobile and on PlayStation devices. Um, is there any, is there any chance of like a switch or Xbox one? Either for either game, either home alone with you or the the next kind of thing that's coming up. I probably can't say anything too specific about right. that. <laughs> There's always a possibility to that stuff. For sure. You know what's weird is like one of the things about home, especially more so than alone with you, is that uh, it's a game that actually ports really well to to different devices. And that was actually part of the plan. And 
it was purposeful, but also a little bit accidental how well that worked out. So, for instance, I love playing the game on iOS uh, just because I think it's neat that I can play this thing on my phone. Um, so, I mean, hey, if you ask me, I want home to be like Doom. I want this thing running on ATMs. I want it like on somebody's <laughs> watch. Uh, it, it's weird. Like almost six years later, this thing is still still going and always finds new new places to live. So never say never. And uh, so I asked a question on on our Twitter on at Charming Game Devs uh, if anyone had questions for you. And, and friends of the site Z Mind Games, uh, who is also a local studio, uh, they asked, "What's his take on your take on the current state of horror in indie games? Is the move to jump scares and the more figure out the lore you're for yourself approach a good or bad thing?" So um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say uh, Home has a lot of like jump scares, but it certainly has like uh, the sort of not figure it out, but sort of interpret it yourself um like what are your thoughts on that oh yeah dude we were ahead of the game by like five years (laughs) i'm just kidding (laughs) uh i think what's okay there are definitely different kinds of horror obviously depending on what you get there's like the more high spec stuff there's things like amnesia and whatnot which are like very high production um even though they're considered indie games like they are they are really well produced and they've got some great great talent uh behind them and there's obviously lots of lower uh, fidelity stuff. I don't, I don't say lower quality. I just mean like, you know, stuff that's meant to be low res 2D, something that's a bit more um, uh, a bit more creative in sort of how it uses graphics and sound. And that's kind of the place I really like to be because there's just so much out there, but it never gets boring. There's always something new. Mm-hmm. Uh, one example is uh, the game Corpse Party, which is like huge seller and extremely popular worldwide. And it was basically... Uh, a one-person indie game made on a Japanese PC in the late 80s, I think it was. Like, just like an indie dev in Japan made it on, like, an old 8-bit PC and then got rediscovered, I think it was about nine years later, and then sort of repackaged into a new version and then eventually got repackaged again into the version that ended up on Steam and Vita and 3DS and sort of the versions you see today. And what's fascinating is when you play it, you kind of get it. Like, it's super low rent in a lot of ways, but it's got really good sound design. It's just got a really creepy story, and it really does make you kind of work for the scares. So I guess my answer is I like all of those things. It all just depends on on how they're used. And I really think that if a game is going to sort of get you to um, – spend that 50% of the investment yourself on, you know, interpreting the story and whatnot, kind of like home does. Mm-hmm. You've really got to give something that people uh, like want to turn their brain over for a long time. And a good, a good example that is like, you know, like David Lynch movies, I always mention this. He makes what people call like the first puzzle movies, which wasn't the first. It was just the sort of ones that people got uh, the most interested in where he never tells you what he thinks is, is the right way to look at something. And that just sort of drives people insane as they, think about it for the rest of their lives but that's what makes it fun because you can find a million different ways to interpret things and that's what's so interesting yeah i mean uh i've, I've played quite a few well, no, i don't want to say quite a few but uh I've, like horror games is definitely in the genre of, of things that i like like but uh it was always kind of like in like resident evil um resident evil 2 on like the n64 like i played that like a huge amount and then i got kind of into silent hill and stuff as like the years kind of progress and the one the it's funny because the memory that I have of Resident Evil 2 is just a particular jump scare of uh, Mr. I think they just call him Mr. X, the sort of nemesis like enemy that's in the game. And he just like burst through a wall and just scares the crap out of me. I was like 10 years old or 11 years old or whenever I was playing the game. It was like three in the morning in the summer. Uh, and I, and I dropped the controller and broke my controller. And that's what I remember huh. 
about that game. But it's funny, but like, cause just as much, uh, and I don't mean to sound like I'm gushing over home so much, but like, I, I still like when I beat home, like that was just as memorable because I just remember being that and having the idea of what had happened and then going onto that website to see what other people like talking to other people about what they interpreted and just being like widely different. Um, like I remember that as well. So to me, I know like sometimes people like poo poo on jump scares. Um, but to me, it, like as long as you kind of, it's not really like the gimmick that is, uh, you know, it's bad. It's just like how you kind of use it. If your game is nothing but jump scares, you got to use it at the right time. Right. And then you can't have just like a complete nonsensical story. You kind of have to have some sort of beginning and, uh, or else your players just lost. So I feel it's like kind of a middle ground and, and both you can kind of uh, coexist or exist in like both realms and, and succeed at both like sort of ends of the spectrum. Sure. Yeah. There. Are, I mean, those are just tools, and it's all about how you use them. Yeah. One example is that in some games, like I'm playing all those Fatal Frame games right now, but some of them uh, don't have great storytelling. Some of them have some like really interesting ideas, but they kind of they want to tell you a story in sort of a cinematic uh, film like structure, but they kind of don't give you what you need to really feel the impact. Um, so they kind of hit that awkward middle ground where they they want you to sort of think for yourself, which is great, but they also are presenting things in a way that makes you expect that you are going to receive information to fill in blanks in a certain way, and they don't deliver on that either. So a lot of that's about setting expectations and and sort of seeing what your how your players engage with with the story that you're trying to tell, and then trying to figure out like you know do they have enough to kind of like do they have enough rope to hang themselves with? If mm-hmm. so. Maybe that's the best way to sort of show this, or otherwise we need to be a bit more specific or graphic. Right. Um, and so before we kind of jump into the next game alone with you, which uh, is is certainly different than home, uh, you are so you're also uh, a teacher as well. Yes. Somehow someone thought that was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you been doing that? Like, how did you kind of get into that world? Um, and, and how long have you been doing it? And, and kind of what do you specifically teach like the right, like writing part of it or illustration or. Believe it or not, I've been teaching for about 11 years now, which is terrifies me. Um, <laughs> I kind of just slipped in the side door and nobody really noticed. And I haven't been kicked out yet. That's kind of how it worked. I go. took over somebody's position uh, for a bit more of a, teacher's assistant job way back when and then from there was able to grab an opening to do some illustration teaching and that was kind of like about business and marketing and and whatnot and I taught that class for I think eight years I think so I forget now about that and along the way uh OK University which is where I teach uh started developing a games program and I was able to um take a class like what basically like an introduction class to teach game design and intro to development for students and these are primarily students who you know don't have tons of uh, programming experience uh, which is great because you get to teach them sort of fundamentals and then teach teach them how to think and then kind of see what weird stuff they come up with which every year is extremely weird so and you, very interesting so do you do sort of like a game jam with them as they're like to see to kind of flush out these ideas or or does the or does the program itself kind of have them creating a game as sort of like one of their classes or master or thesis or something like that? It's not a thesis project, uh, but it is sort of like a game jam. What we actually do is our first major project is to make a, a physical game, and it's a physical game based on a digital game. I remember the first example I saw before I took over the class was um, 
this one student, she made a four-player physical versions of Assassin's Creed multiplayer. So it was basically like using squares to move around, but because it was Assassin's Creed and you're supposed to be climbing and, and doing parkour and whatnot, it was all about these sort of maneuverable 3D blocks that you could position and then climb up and use to get vantage points and do eagle vision, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and that really opened up my eye when I realized how creative this project could be. And ever since that, uh, I saw that every year, those are my favorite projects that the students do because every year they do something like absolutely great, just a bunch of weird stuff. And I kind of guilt them every year to doing this too, because I show them what the students did the year before to say, like, if, <laughs> if what you submit is, is less good than this, then you have failed me. And I don't, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Uh, and so far, no one's ever, no one's ever failed. They always uh, deliver something that's like cooler than what I saw before. So, so one question I've been trying to ask everyone is uh, just because I've been sort of plucking away at different sort of uh, places in the industry is like, what, what, what do you recommend for someone who kind of wants to go your route, uh, creating a game that is, you know, I don't want to say, I don't want to say like simpler, but like basically something that can be done by a very small team. Um, but you might not have the programming experience, uh, to do so. Like what, what, uh, what do you, what do you think this, like, do you, what do you think the steps should be or like what, what tips can you like kind of provide uh, like kind of the young game developers out there? Well, the big okay there's two main things the first thing is you never make your dream game first it's going to take you like 100 games to get to that point so the best thing to anyone who wants to make games is just start making games i know that sounds contradictory but you should make as many things as you can as quickly as you can it's just like sketching no one no one draws one drawing and says oh my god i got anatomy down perfect this is great i'm really good at this they do it for years and years and years and then suddenly they look up and realize oh i'm actually pretty good at this so making games is the same thing. It just often feels like it takes a lot longer because there are so many moving parts. Mm -hmm. The second part is that uh, whether you're a team of one person, you're a team of 100 or whatnot, all the same roles kind of apply and all the same jobs kind of have to get done. So if you're not a person who's comfortable with wearing, you know, like a dozen hats and switching between those roles and handling all those things and able to bounce back and forth, it might be tough to do something on your own. You might be better working off with other like-minded people who also want to jam on some stuff. And, you know, I always liken everything to being in a band. I don't know why, because I've never been in one, but to me, <laughs> music and being in a band and stuff like that really makes sense to me, where you can make an entire album by yourself, uh, and that's actually great. There's lots of people who are really good at that and do a really good job. But, you know, maybe you decide that turns out you're actually not that great at drums, but you are good at singing and guitar. And as long as you have that that drummer, you know, you think you can make something uh, pretty good. Uh, and then you kind of just go from there. So it's it's a million steps. You're going to have to do them all. There are no shortcuts. Um, it's just all about how you manage your time. And, and again, the smaller your project, the easier it is to get through those steps. Perfect. Uh, and completely off topic before we move on, uh, what are your feelings on pineapple on pizza? It's been a big discussion in our Discord server. Um, oh, Canadian! It's, it's a Canadian legend. It should be there. It should always be there. It's my wife's favorite pizza. I will defend it to the death. <laughs> uh, that's where we disagree. Then I'm sorry. So. <laughs> Get out. Part <laughs> of this interview is over. Um, no, that's totally fine. Everyone's obviously entitled to their incorrect pizza opinion. I guess <laughs> it's been a big topic in the in the Discord. I guess there's been a, a few feuds on on whether pizza, pineapple belongs on pizza or, or not, but. Oh man, they're 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 missing the they're missing the block because the best pizza is actually uh, hot peppers and anchovies. 
It's just my favorite anchovy. Oh my god! So my my parents love anchovies, and the the worst thing about anchovies is that it just ruins the smell of of the other pizzas. So like, we would huh. order like you can't order a half a pizza, or sorry, you can't order a full pizza with half of it with anchovies because right. the oils just seep into the to the other slice. So I remember just my parents always loved anchovies, and I would always just get mad at them as a kid. That's that's my memory. <laughs> hot peppers, though, I'm down with that. I like hot peppers on pizza, but afraid not the other ones. Um, so then, so alone with you. So home comes out mm-hmm. uh, and and has success. It's been on many like many different platforms and whatnot. Uh, and and then you decide to go kind of uh, a completely different direction. It's it's alone with you is a sci-fi romance adventure. Um, it stars. Uh, I think you're nameless in the game, right? That's right. Uh, and so you are on this planet that is uh, where everyone is dead, um, basically. See? And you need sorry. I was gonna say, see, it's not that different from home. <laughs> That's a good point. Actually, about, about dead bodies. The the difference is instead of being like a horror thing, it's more of a romance thing where you, there are people that you're interacting with, uh, and they're they're dead people, but it's like they're holograms um, that you're kind of creating a connection with. And I think there was four, and then you can kind of choose. You know, the, it was sort of a choose your path um, where you can kind of latch on to the one that uh, that you find like that you're most, I, I guess, best suited with. Um, and and so it is it's a different game and you, and you released uh, it's now on Steam, but it was originally just released on PlayStation 4 and PS Vita. So my questions are, uh, how come you kind of went with this, you know, different direction, sci-fi romance adventure, uh, still a story based, you know, narrative game strongly. Um, but not a horror game. And then how did, uh, how did it kind of become this, uh, like PlayStation exclusive game? So what you say there is a really good point for any future game developers or anyone who's working on their second game. See, to me, along with you is like a perfectly matched follow-up to home. It makes tons of sense in a linear path as a failure of marketing and game design sort of macro level thought, of course it would seem extremely different but to me as the insulated creator who was like just making uh the second album you know to me it all made sense as again going back to the metaphor you know home was like the ep that i made in my garage uh that just sort of had enough to do what it had to do and and took off and along with you was like the double album i always wanted to make where we just got all these things of like rock and soundtrack and uh these visual style that i've always wanted to dip into and a bunch of other uh concepts that have been had been floating around there for a while and to me it all made sense it's like from this album to this album but it's interesting because the and i had to kind of uh, i'm going a little bit off memory but a lot like home you you know everyone kind of has a different opinion on what what's happened kind of throughout the story but along with you um it wasn't that way if i recall like you you kind of everyone kind of there is like the four kind of paths i guess with the four different people but the ending is kind of very uh you know, you kind of realize, you know what's happened and not many people would have, other than the interactions you have with the four characters, uh, I don't think there'd be different interpretations, but maybe I'm wrong. So I'm actually interested in hearing what you say. Sure. Yeah. Well, there are two endings in the game officially, depending on things that you do. Uh, and then the, the idea that we took from home, which is that again, the player brings 50% of the experience because they're thinking about things in their head. They're sort of rolling around these ideas and then um, using that to make decisions, or like you say, you're you're thinking about an interpretation, maybe wondering about it, you know, after you've stopped playing. Mm. The, that sort of uh, gameplay trope that we used 
went into the holograms for alone with you where because i wanted to the design like the design brief for that game was let's see if we can make people feel something real for these four dead hologram people that are rendered like they're on a sega cd which of course i mean i'm sure if you're a game publisher and i just told you that idea you just throw me out the door um <laughs> but the good thing about being a self-published indie dev is sometimes you can make that double album and just not have enough people telling you it's a bad idea so you know what people get out of that the the four the four um holograms are all basically they're all basically psych profiles which is an idea i completely stole uh from silent hill shattered memories uh which is designed by sam barlow because that's what he did uh, with that game which is the, the way the game works and how it feedbacks is it uses actual like established psych profiles and questions that sort of lead you down those paths so they can turn them into data that they can use and what I did was basically create four psych profiles that were designed to appeal to certain kinds of people. Uh, we play tested them, so I made sure that the people I thought were going to like certain people, uh, like the holograms I thought were going to resonate with certain people, were sort of sticking as as intended, and then and then went from there. So what you get is like the discussions that I hear is when people uh, play the game and then they argue amongst themselves about like who was who was best boy, who was best girl, basically. It's like mm-hmm. people playing Persona, and why and it's really funny because usually what people do when they argue uh, or have those conversations is they're bringing up points that I knew they were going to bring up and based on my interpretation of like say my friends personalities or other people that I met uh, their personalities I always figure I can guess what kind of uh, like which of the four holograms are going to dig and usually it's pretty accurate which is super funny but it is as you have demonstrated uh, not an easy concept to explain to people in a simple way, which again, game dev marketing 101, don't do that. Um, <laughs> but it's one of those things where, man, you just sometimes you just want an 18 minute track with like a hundred horns and like double guitar, and you're just you're just gonna go for it. I'm looking at uh, you, so you had me curious because I'm looking at my trophies, uh, and it looks like I I because I have one to spend each simulation with a different companion. So it looks like I was kind of more interested in just finding out. Uh, all f- like kind of talking to all four of them as much as possible, and then uh, I escaped the planet. So I right. didn't. Uh, I just I'm spoiling the game. I, I guess for anyone who hasn't played it, but uh, what you were saying kind of has me thinking that I'm going to go back and play it. So I want to because it's been a while. I, I I do like forget most of the like I even kind of forget like the places you go to on the planet. So right, um, you kind of got me thinking that I should replay this. So. So, along uh, with you comes out. Uh, it's so. How did uh, how did you get it? Just as or what made you decide to just kind of go with a Sony only uh, release at least to start? Um, I do remember that there was a uh, Shio Yoshida uh, reference in there too. Um, yeah. So it, it it's now on Steam, but it originally only launched on PS4 and PS Vita. How did that kind of start? Was that just from when you released Home, or or how did that kind of come about? We had a we've always had a really good relationship with Sony because they were actually really jonesing to get more indie games on around the time of the launch of the PS4s. Most people probably remember, mm-hmm. and the people who sort of came to sort of headhunt and, and check out stuff that was going on in the city back then, um, kind of did their research and knew everyone. And once we sort of got that rolling, they were uh, they liked us. They liked us well enough that I pitched them an idea over lunch one day and said like I'd like to do this this weirdo game i'd like to put it on ps4 and i'd like some some help to make that happen so that's the reason why i came out on ps4 and vita of course it's the reason why anything comes out exclusive for a console was that they basically helped us make the game and the shuhei thing was totally just 
me chatting with some other developers and being like, okay, man, all I want to do is get Shuhei in this game and have like this fun little Easter egg. And my friend, who's like a much more prominent developer, uh, kind of said, just do it, man. Just just try it. So I sort of emailed my rep and said, okay, I got a weird idea. What do you think? And I think I got an email back in like 20 minutes. He's like, yeah, Shuhei says he's cool. Uh, we'll talk about it later. And I said, oh, my God, really? So, you know, big double album and all that kind of stuff. Alone With You is kind of like me getting to do all the things I always wanted to do and you would probably never never try to do again. But the fact that we have like the president of, of sort of Sony Worldwide Studios as a as a little Easter egg in our game was and the fact that he sort of helped market it and stuff was was a huge boon and a lot of fun. Yeah, there was there was like a time where uh, he kind of became a marketing machine himself, like an actual like kind of character that you associate with like PlayStation. Cause I remember he was, uh, he was like on the podcast with Greg Miller and Colin Moriarty, like maybe back when they were IGN, but maybe just on kind of funny. <clears throat> and they kind of just like made him like, they he, like with that, with their help, they just made him into like this character. And then he was also in, um, oh, I'm blanking on the game. He was in that side scrolling game that came out of Toronto too. He was in Super Time Force. Uh, yes. He was a playable character in Super Time Force. Yeah. yeah, so he was a playable character in that. I can't remember the release if that came out before or after along with you, but I remember seeing you tweet about the little Easter egg that you had with the OSP. So he kind of like um, – I, I stopped following him on Twitter, so I'm not sure. I don't think he's been in much since then, but he, like he, there was like a few years where he was like this big like kind of uh, – almost like a, the Crash Bandicoot, like the real-life Crash huh. Bandicoot of, of Sony, um, just like everyone kind of knew who he was and – it was always like it's always fun when like famous people or like people with like a lot of Twitter followers like tweet at you or, or reply to you, um, and I missed my chance to meet him at Tokyo Game Show when I was there like three years ago and, and right and I kind of regret that but oh well. Um, so along with you, it comes out and it has good success. Uh, you port it to Steam eventually as well, and then uh, that was uh, along with you came out two years ago, two thousand sixteen. Oh, uh, Along with you did come out in 2016 on PS4 and Vita, and then came out in just before um, Valentine's Day 2017. Right, and uh, and so what? As, obviously, as much as you're allowed to say, or as you can say, is there anything you can say about like the kind of the next thing, um, whether what consoles or what what it'll be on, or what kind of game it is, or or should we just kind of uh, you know move on? <laughs> Well, anyone who anyone who's followed my Twitter feed over the past couple of months is, can probably guess sort of what genre I'm working on by now, uh, considering all the horror movies, horror games, and sort of other horror paraphernalia I've been I've been tweeting about. Uh, I've, like I said, I shouldn't talk about release uh, platforms just yet, but um, we're pretty stoked about this one because I really just wanted to go back into the garage a bit and just like pick up a guitar and just say, okay, I want to make a couple songs. This is gonna be awesome. Like I'm gonna forget about the 25 backup vocalists that I that I sort of wanted to get on low with you and just see what happens when you just jam out like a punk song and then go from there. And it's been a really interesting ride. We've been working at this game very differently uh, than we did for the last one, but also all the lessons that we learned from low with you have all been applied. And it's I wouldn't have been able to make this game if we hadn't made the first two. And I'm hoping that sort of shines through. And for me, you know, I really love I really love horror games, obviously, but I also really still love independent games ones that have a story to tell ones that let you sort of make up your own mind or at least give you sort of that enough rope to hang yourself with 
Um, and I really like very emotional, impactful stories, something that someone will talk about or, you know, like you were saying before, something you remember for a long time because they hit you the right way. Mm-hmm. So that's been the major focus of this game, something where a bunch of people at the end are going to be like, oh, man, like that was awesome. And then they're going to be noticing a bunch of stuff on their second playthrough that they didn't notice the first time and and uh, be telling all their friends about. But uh, I got to say, I've been having a ton of fun working on this game. We've been working on it for about 10 months now. Nice. And uh, and we'll be talking about release dates and stuff like that later this year. But I was just going to say, when are we? When are we going to kind of see the the first bits of it? I guess like at some point this year, you said. Yeah, people. Yeah, people will hear about it this year for sure. Cool, perfect. Um, and then, uh, and then that kind of just like brings us to today, really. So one uh, one kind of like last question, I guess, um, is just is sort of. Of the, of the of all these horror games, like we've talked a lot about horror, horror games, uh, and and just kind of what you've been playing. Someone who is new hasn't really played that much in that genre. What games do you think they should they should play across whatever generation? Maybe they'll oh, just boy. find YouTube let's plays. What 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 would you say is your, one of your go to horror games um, from from whatever? To me, the best horror game ever made is still Silent Hill Two. Yeah, uh, it's my favorite game of all time. Um because of how it uses sort of the high production value of the time and tells a really, really great story that pulls from kind of all the right influences. And even though it can seem a little awkward in some cases, sort of just through, through aging and whatnot, it still delivers. Like you, I watched someone play through it on Twitch the other day and just went, yep, it's still great. This game's still the best. Yeah. I, so if you, if you don't know the story of Silent Hill 2, for the love of God, don't look it up. Cause I knew the story going in and I knew what kind of happens. Uh, right. And, and so while I liked it, uh, I, and I certainly played it like well after it came out, I think I played it on the PS3, uh, re-release, which, right. which they also like butchered a lot. Um, yes. In that. So I didn't play in the right circumstances. Um, and, and I could see the game for what it is, uh, like, cause that's a well-loved game. Um, but I don't see it as, as like, as the, the highlight of the horror genre, just because, um, of just like when I played it and how I played it. One of, one of my favorites you mentioned it earlier is Silent Hill Shattered uh, Shattered Dreams that I played on the Wii. Because um, when you're when you go through that psych profile and then when you're just running from all the monsters and stuff like that, to me that was like one of the first. It's a big uh, kind of gimmick in, in horror games now, but not having a weapon to fight. That was like one of the first games that I remember that I played where you didn't have you didn't fight basically. You just like ran away. And I feel like that's been a huge thing now in horror games the last like, couple of years. Um, but I think that one was like one of the first ones, certainly one of the first ones I played. Yeah, I believe you're right. I remember it was it was a point of contention for a lot of reviewers as well because they were not used to the idea of just running away. And then, of course, now you see some so many games that do it very well, actually, uh, in, in very different kinds of ways, whether you're hiding or running or using some other sort of ability or, or it's a narrative-based thing. It's it, I'm glad we finally realized that there's something you could do uh, in a horror game other than like, you know, pick up a shovel or something and swing it at a monster. Yeah. I remember, and I remember hearing one um, thing with, uh, with sound hills, like, yeah, the, the combat's like clanky and stuff, but your character, you're just like a guy in the game. So like, obviously you like, it kind of works into that where it's like, you obviously can't like, obviously you're like crappy at like, you know, running away from these monsters and, and, hitting things with weapons and, and stuff like that because you're just like some dude you're not like a cop like in resident evil and stuff like that so it kind of like works thematically with a and similar with the with um the wii one 
uh, you're just, I think you're like a teacher um, in the game, I believe, looking for your daughter. But you're just like some some dude. You're not like this like well-trained soldier or anything like that. So yeah, it's like, it's something that's recently started and now is like being kind of adapted as like, uh, you know, normal for horror games. Like that's what they kind of work around. Um, Ben, thanks so much for joining me, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, so if you want to follow Ben on Twitter, you can do so at Benjamin Rivers. Uh, and if you want to check out Home uh, or Alone With You, they're available on PS4, Vita, I, uh, and Steam. Alone With You isn't on mobile, is it? Correct. So Home is, so home is on iOS. Um, but And I think on Steam there's like a like a bundle, right? The, the two games? Yeah. yeah. So we have the Home Alone With You bundle on Steam, <laughs> which is a joke we literally planned for five years specifically. <laughs> And believe you, the next game's only going to make it worse. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. So you can check that out on Steam, on PS4, and Vita. Uh, and Ben, is there anything, any last kind of things you want to say or any, any things I might not have brought up that you wanted to kind of discuss or, or we, we could? Just <laughs> thanks to you for supporting all the developers in the city and like promoting people on the site and building such a resource. I use uh, your site as a, a giant resource for getting my students like immediately up to speed on what the hell is going on in the city and to check out people. So, Hey man, thanks to you. Thanks to you. No problem. I appreciate that. That wasn't me opening, uh, trying to open you up for, to compliment me, but I do appreciate it. Um, yeah, I hear that a lot about from like students, especially like people who just like are tasked with like trying to find out what's going on in Toronto. And then they just Google Toronto games and thankfully I'm one of the top ones. And then they just email me thanking me. So no, it's, it's totally, uh, it's, it's totally um, a lot, it's a lot of fun to do it. And, uh, I've discovered a lot of games and great people and stuff like that through the site. So it's my pleasure. So thanks again, Ben, uh, again, that's Benjamin rivers on Twitter and, uh, alone with you at home is on, on all those consoles. And, uh, we'll have to wait maybe, maybe just a little bit, uh, later this year to find out what's kind of next from, from, from you. Great. Thank you so much. No problem.